0: Hi, everybody. This is Sierra.
1: And this is Matt. And welcome to Monkey Business, your favorite podcast about primates and PhDs.
0: Today, we will be talking about a topic that is very difficult for people to understand as a phenomena. And that topic is infanticide. By definition, infanticide is the killing of infants or juveniles. And this can be quite a sad topic. It shows a side of these monkeys that's a bit more malicious than the cute furry love bugs that we usually see. So I'll start the show with a warning that this episode contains talk on killing of infants and cannibalism in non-human primates and may be unsuitable for some listeners.
1: It's definitely a tough topic, but it is an important one. So let's dive right in.
0: Cue the intro. So Matt, when was the first time that you encountered this topic?
1: Um, I definitely think it was the in my animal behavior class in undergrad as the first time that I'd heard about it. Um, I think I had maybe heard about it at some point on like National Geographic or Animal Planet just because I was obsessed with those shows um, and those channels when I was growing up. Um, but it's definitely one of those topics that's kind of hard to understand. And I've actually, I mean, I've never witnessed it. I used to work with sea turtles, which do not do infanticide. Not that I know of at least. And so it was nothing that I had really ever gotten into in depth. It was just something that I was taught in animal behavior class and it was only just brushed up on and we over went over the evolutionary theories on it. But I mean, other than that, it's one of those things that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. But
0: was there a certain like species that your class was It was on some primate
1: species. Um, I think it was a macaque species, but I I don't remember exactly.
0: Yeah. I also had a similar introduction to infanticide, and I first encountered it only really in a non-human primate context, and it was mostly discussed in the scenario of a group takeover by another male. And I was told about articles describing observations that when a new male would come and take over a group and displace the alpha that new male was sometimes observed killing infants of the group and those were typically infants that were not weaned yet and of course my initial reaction was like how could this be so brutal like how do these monkeys do that and like don't the mothers and other females try to resist these new males and so it kind of gets a all entangled with these human feelings that I have when it comes to the thought of infanticide.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember having a very similar reaction the first time that I heard about this phenomenon. Uh, Actually, the more I learned about it, I found out that infanticide is actually a lot more common throughout the animal kingdom. I know both of our experiences were with non-human primates in the beginning, but um, it's something that's seen in, in other animals as well, and sadly, even in humans. In fact, when we started researching this topic together, it it actually seemed as though research on infanticide is much more abundant in humans than any other species. Uh, This is probably due to the conditions in which this type of research is conducted. Uh, For example, humans often will have some records or some tales of when children are killed. It's something that we're able to keep track of because of uh, our language and because we can tell each other all that kind of stuff. But for animals, Although it's spread throughout the animal kingdom as a behavior that occurs, the behavior itself within species is rather rare. And so extensive behavioral observations would have to occur in order to capture those rare instances. Realistically, such observations can be difficult. Uh, they're also time consuming and expensive. So it's one of those things that's it's kind of hard to see. And, and as you and I were, were discussing during our research, it seems like a lot of times infanticide can be even inferred where, mm-hmm. you know, um, observations are being done and you come up to a, a group the next morning and you find that an infant has been killed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not, doesn't look like the infant necessarily fell out of a tree or right. was eaten by a predator but rather it looks like it's suffered some wounds. And so there's a lot of times where inferences are made because researchers don't always exactly see the behavior happen firsthand. Anyways, regardless, for the purposes of this podcast, we are going to kind of reel it back and really focus on infanticide that's specific to non-human primates and more specifically what the theories are behind the evolutionary purpose of this behavior.
0: And then also before we dive in, I also want to make a note here why we won't be going specifically into how this phenomena relates to humans. I know for a lot of comparative work, we always kind of extrapolate to what this means for humans. But the first thing that kind of makes this phenomena a little bit hard to extrapolate to humans is humans have pervasive culture and society which have a lot of influence on the observed events of human infanticide. So it will almost be like comparing apples to oranges when comparing these humans to other
1: species. At least in regards to infanticide.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Additionally, there is a lot of speculation on the evolutionary purpose of infanticide, but like many other sp- subjects, sometimes those speculations and theories get misconstrued to justify certain human behaviors. Mm. And we'll also see this kind of trend or cautionary line of thought through other topics as well. But it's also good to just remember that this is something that you want to be conscious of before applying certain types of evolutionary hypotheses to human behavior When I say justify, I don't mean that these behaviors are necessarily thought to be okay behaviors within today's society, but instead to use evolutionary theory to insinuate things like, oh, it makes sense that a person exhibited that behavior because they are quote unquote programmed to do it. Almost like it would take away some of the personal responsibility of that behavior. And that kind of thought process can be very dangerous, especially when it comes to phenomena like infanticide that have a lot of cultural influence. Now that I went off on a little cautionary statement there, I just want everybody to be mindful of how you extrapolate the evolutionary theories of non-human animal behavior to humans. So just be mindful of that. Yeah. All
1: right. The uh, first published observations of infanticide um, that I could find was by Yukimaru Sugiyama. I'm, once again, uh, their names, so sometimes we mispronounce them, but hopefully I got that pretty close. And this observation was made in the 1960s when he was doing some work with the Hanuman Langers in India. Around that, or after that first observation, it almost seems like there was a large explosion of research on this topic throughout the 70s and 80s. Uh, some of the first primate species, aside from the Hanuman Langers, observed to kill their young were chimpanzees, gorillas, many species of colobus monkeys, rhesus, uh, baboons, and howler monkeys. Since then, it has been observed in many, many more primate species. And whenever we do find a species that has been known to do this in our primate spotlight podcast episodes, we'll definitely make sure to let you guys know.
0: Obviously, my first thought is why? And I'm sure a lot of other researchers asked this exact question. Aside from Dr. Sugiyama, one of the first people to really dive into understanding infanticide and its evolution was Sarah B. Hurdy. She put forth five reasons why infanticide might occur. First, she proposed that the infant's body is a resource and can be used. She speculated this because in the first observations of infanticide in chimpanzees, the male was seen eating the infant's body. Initially, this was thought to just be cannibalism in general since chimpanzees were known to hunt other monkeys. If you look at many of the first papers where chimpanzees were observed killing infants, the discussions were more oriented towards hunting and cannibalism. Although all of the articles I found about chimpanzee cannibalism were on infants. So I think that's why it started to shift from people saying that they're partaking in cannibalism to instead partaking in infanticide. The second speculated reason is infanticide excludes future competitors. The idea behind this one is kind of like oh, if I kill this male infant right now, I won't have to compete with him later for breeding females.
1: So essentially getting rid of the competition while they're too young to fight for themselves.
0: Yes, unfortunately so. And who knows if they're aware of that's Mm -hmm. something that they're doing, but it could be something that, you know, instinctually they might be doing.
1: Yeah, don't want to give uh, intent where we haven't been able to run a controlled experiment to determine that. But- Right. It's, you know, we're just speculating here.
0: Yeah, kind of like that idea, though. And then the third reason is that the behavior increases inclusive fitness. Inclusive fitness is defined as the ability to pass on your genetics to subsequent generations.
1: Yeah. And this term is actually built off the idea that your kin share a certain percentage of your genes. So it's not just about passing your genes on, but also by making sure that your kin's genes get passed on as well. Uh, This is a popular theory that explains a lot of kin directed behavior not just infanticide. It's used in a lot of different contexts and done under different circumstances in both primates and other animals too.
0: All great points. And we'll really dive into inclusive fitness more when we get into the evolutionary theories behind infanticide, but we'll probably also reference it in future episodes because it's
1: it's such a pervasive yeah, theory and, and it can be used to explain a lot of different behaviors.
0: Pretty foundational, I would say. Yeah. And so the fourth reason why Dr. Hurdy mentioned was infanticide increases the reproductive success of the unrelated male, which by some perspectives would not be mutually exclusive with some of the other mechanisms. And then the last kind of probably less supported idea, but it's still a hypothesis, is that this behavior is actually not typical and is the result of some social pathology.
1: Um, I don't know too much about that kind of uh, research, but I will say it it does make me wonder if uh, we're looking at it in terms of humans, like through the lens of humanity when we're trying to explain it that way sometimes, because I I do feel like... um,
0: We often put that on humans. Yeah, exactly. They do something that you cannot understand yourself.
1: So yeah, so some of the listeners might have noticed this, but up until now, we've actually exclusively talked about males. We have yet to discuss infanticide that's performed by females.
0: Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that because when I was also first introduced to this, as I mentioned before, I was only really introduced to this by males committing infanticide. Infanticide. Mm. So when I was doing some of the research on this, I was able to find some stuff. Although the vast majority of observations and the occurrences of infanticide are seen in males, which in turn drive the hypotheses for explaining infanticide.
1: Yeah, well, and it makes sense too, right? It's kind of hard to form a hypothesis on a behavior that's so rare. And since it is already a rare behavior Mm -hmm. with very limited research on it, and of that rare behavior with limited research... The vast majority of it is on males. So it's kind of hard to form hypotheses about the female behavior because, quite honestly, we just don't have enough data about it.
0: That's exactly why, to be honest. I think anybody who had seen infanticide in females prior to more recently, it was all in mostly like rodent species. Mm-hmm. Because it's quite common with females yeah. in like rats and things. But yeah, I know. for primates, it was like unheard yeah. of.
1: I think like, for example, uh, virgin female rats actually have a tendency to either withdraw away from other's pups or actually attack them. So female infanticide does happen. It's just there's not as much information out there to form evolutionary hypotheses about how this behavior came to be or, or, or why it benefits an individual. So, right.
0: And specifically with non-human primates, it's even harder to yeah. extrapolate things.
1: Yeah. So what what did you find out there with the the females? Because I, I struggled to find anything about female
0: infanticide. Uh, yes. So in 1995, Leslie Digby published an article called Infant Care, Infanticide, and Female Reproductive Strategies in Polygamous Groups of Common Marmosets. In this paper, a dominant female marmoset was observed killing the infant of a subordinate female. This paper paved the way for the allocare hypothesis of infanticide. The proponents of this hypothesis speculate that in primates who partake in alloparenting, infanticide helps to maintain a certain helper-to-pup ratio
1: all right now this is sounding familiar back in the episode where we talked about the cotton top tamarin who are a species known for their alloparenting behavior
0: that's right and i thought the same thing when i started reading this and just as a reminder for those of you who may not have listened to that episode alloparenting is when group members that are not the direct parent of the infant help in caring for that infant hence the root of the word allo parent is allo which means other different or all so other parenting or different parenting or all parenting i uh, i'm I'd... i'm a kind of person that likes the roots of yeah, words Yeah, it helps me remember what i think they it's
1: are. i think it's called etymology yeah that's what it's called
0: Yes. I etymology took, i actually took a classics uh class where we learned the bunch of roots roots of words, which actually helped me a lot when I was doing biology.
1: Yeah. I also found that it was pretty helpful in studying for the dreaded GRE. um, (laughs) But even sometimes that doesn't help you because those words are 18 syllables long and no one uses them ever. (laughs) Um, We did mention that the research with the cotton-top tamarins showed infant survival um, and how it was related to the number of individuals who were actually able to help that infant in that, you know, the more helpers that an infant had, the higher their survival was. Essentially, when more individuals could help care for the young, then the infant survival rates increased. So in a lot of ways, this hypothesis makes sense in an alloparenting uh, context.
0: Right, it does. And it is also a great connection to one of our past primate spotlights because it's all kind of interconnected in a way. And the study I mentioned earlier that observed a female partaking in infanticide was specifically marmosets and I want to just point out that they live in similar group makeups as the cotton-top tamarin. One thing that I was wondering though, is many species that are seen to participate in alloparenting also have reproduction suppression where pheromones of the dominant breeding females suppress reproduction in the subordinate adult females leading to only one female being able to bear children. So I was a little confused by this article when I read it initially, because how could a submissive female physically have a child like in the article if submissive females were not able to reproduce?
1: Yeah, so um, that's a great point. And I could see how that would be a little bit confusing, but I actually know a little bit about the Mm -hmm. common marmoset. And while they do show reproductive suppression, it's actually not, Uncommon, um, well, might uncom- be not uncommon, but it, it is possible to have two breeding females um, within a group.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Then it does make more sense that you may have an allocate hypothesis of infanticide in females. Regardless, we won't focus on this too much because it does seem quite rare to observe infanticide by a non human primate female. And in searching, like I said, I really only found this one article. So it is possible that there are more, but like I was just not able to find them or access those articles.
1: Yeah. And it just goes back to what we were saying too, right? If this is already a rare phenomenon that happens, and the vast majority of this data is on males. So it's kind of hard to form hypotheses that uh, are well supported by the data when you don't have much data on female, uh, primate, infant side. So.
0: One um, thing in science: an n of one is not a very good yes <laughs> sample <exactly>. size.
1: <laughs> so, because it's also possible that it doesn't happen very often in primates, and that that was That's just a rare occasion. Um, so, anyways, if most cases are with males, then I think the next thing we should discuss are the evolutionary hypotheses that explain infanticide in male primates.
0: Yes, let's get into filling this pie a little bit. <laughs>
1: what are you what what a phrase i have never heard you say before <laughs> so, uh,
0: it's not a phrase
1: i mean i don't know filling of this pie
0: let's get into the filling it's like the best oh, okay. part it's like uh, the best uh, let's get into the filling of this pie it's the best part
1: i just <laughs> not how what I, that's not how i heard it but it makes sense now <laughs> <It's>...
0: <laughs> yes now let's get into the filling of this pie I'm going to mention the two most dominant evolutionary hypotheses that are both grounded in how infanticide increases reproductive fitness.
1: Which, in case our listeners don't know much about evolutionary theory, this just means that these hypotheses are based off an organism's ability to increase its genetic representation in the gene pool. So in the instance of infanticide, the hypotheses are rooted in the idea that the adult who is killing the infants is somehow able to increase his genes in the overall gene pool.
0: Yes. And this is also something that you, I feel like is the way most people will approach any kind of evolutionary theory is looking at how it increases the reproductive fitness of the animal. So that is something that is a common trend in most evolutionary theories. Yes. Yeah. Hypotheses. Yeah.
1: Great clarifying point.
0: The first and probably the most predominant theory is the sexual selection hypothesis, which proposes that the male who is partaking in the killing of the infant gains a reproductive advantage by selectively killing the unweaned offspring of his male rivals. Basically, this hypothesis proposes that males kill other males' offspring in order to, one, lower the genetic representation of their rival, and two, gain an opportunity to increase his own genetic representation. This first part is pretty straightforward. If the infant of a rival dies, that rival gets less genetic representation. The second part though comes as a result of a female's reproductive cycle. You see, when a female loses her unweaned infant, she no longer can nurse it. Breast milk is no longer in use and that kind of kick-starts the female's body back into her reproductive cycle. This allows the female to become pregnant faster with the killer's offspring. Hypothetically, of course. Hypothetically, yes. And in this way, the primate that committed infanticide decreased his rival's reproductive fitness and increased his own much quicker. Yeah. However, there
1: are assumptions being made by this thought process. This hypothesis specifically relies on four main assumptions. Mm -hmm. First, males should not kill related individuals. 2nd inner inter-birth intervals of a female that lost her infant should be shortened.
0: Which has been found in some species.
1: Yes, that's true. And third, the male who partook in the infanticide should then inseminate the female. And fourth, infanticidal males should gain a reproductive edge to the non-infanticidal males. So research that is looking to support or disprove this hypothesis will typically focus on these four main assumptions. For example, if you want to focus on the first assumption that males should not kill related individuals, then a researcher can go out to a population of monkeys or apes, and then measure how often the infants that are killed are related to the individual that is doing the killing. You would suspect that if this hypothesis were true, that uh, related infants to the male are killed at significantly lower rates. And so yeah, that would support the hypothesis. If you didn't find that um, that assumption has some holes in it because, right, it's all about increasing your genetic representation. If you're killing an infant that's related to you, well, that's kind of defeating the purpose. So that's just kind of an example. And you can do that with all four of the assumptions. It's not just the first one, right? Like, for example, if we were looking at the inner birth intervals of females, we right. would want to make sure that we measure the inner birth interval of females who have lost their infants compared to those who have not lost their infants. And we should expect that females who have lost their infants have a significantly shorter inner birth interval. So right. these are all things that you would do as a researcher if you were trying to test these sorts of things.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of good to think about it this way because, you know, it's it's hard to test evolutionary hypotheses because evolution takes so long to manifest mm-hmm. itself. So. Yeah. It's, you kind of go about looking at these either assumptions or kind of more specific areas within these hypotheses to try to see if you can build evidence to support it.
1: Yeah. And that's going to be a common theme whenever we talk about evolutionary theories. At the end of the day, they're, they are just theories yep. um, and we can't actually go back in time and see what really caused it. But this is our best guess, given the data that we have.
0: Exactly. This, however, is not the only hypothesis put forth to explain infanticide. Some researchers, in particular Curtin and Dalhenau, saw higher rates of infant mortality in Hanuman Langers in areas where there was high human disturbance and crowding. Mm. So they actually proposed that infanticide is a pathological behavior brought on by the unnatural conditions of human disturbance and crowding. And this is where that social pathology hypothesis came from.
1: Basically, they think that the encroachment of humans is driving infanticide. Now, I could see that. Um, As we know, human encroachment may cause stress on species, which could ultimately result in uh, different or even abnormal behaviors, such as infanticide. But I think that this hypothesis would be hard to be all encompassing, given that it has been seen in species that may not be experiencing human encroachment. so although maybe this explains it in one population or one species it would be hard for me to say that this is going to be something that applies to all cases of infanticide um while i don't want to discredit that i think they probably have um some good basis behind it I definitely think that it, it sounds like it might be more of a, spe- a species or even a population specific thing for this population of Hanuman langurs. But it, it would be interesting to see if there are other instances of infanticide, if they also kind of experience these similar factors, which I assume if, you know, if you're not thinking about this hypothesis, you're probably not testing that anyways, or reporting it or recording it. So,
0: Also, to go off your point, like, I would assume that, you know, species that live in captivity probably have the most human influence on their lives. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't hear of a lot of infanticide in captive populations. That's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And obviously that doesn't confirm or deny the hypothesis. Um, But it is interesting because you do, you see a lot of abnormal or stereotypic behavior in captive animals. And so if this was a social pathology thing, it's possible that you would see it in captive animals. And and I haven't, I agree with you. I haven't heard that Mm -hmm. happening. Of course there's also a lot of management that goes into managing offspring Very and true. infants in captivity so there's that factor too but it's interesting it's interesting and it's an interesting thought and it, it might play a role it might play a role more than we we think so
0: I also kind of like how these researchers or this group of researchers actually did try to think of some kind of alternative Mm-hmm. cognitive mechanism yeah, yeah. And,
1: and also the other thing is i always give credit to people who come out with you know come out with a new hypothesis because sometimes it's so easy at least as young scientists to get all these hypotheses and then it's so easy to just be like okay it must be one of these and yeah. really not think outside the box yes um, speaking of
0: actually Mm -hmm. this happened to me literally like two days ago i was working with one of the undergraduates in our lab and we were talking about certain types of play behavior Mm -hmm. and i was saying like oh yeah you actually see infants slapping when they're playing but you also see it as like a sexual behavior as Mm -hmm. well you'll see like a capuchin go up and slap the male to like get their attention and she said well That seems strange. Like why would male infants do that if play behavior is to just like practice what you're going to be doing later Mm. on in life? Although like, yes, this is a hypothesis and it's a good one. That's very well supported. It's not the only hypothesis. And like, you know, you have, for example, mounting behavior in primates. You see females mounting all the time. Which
1: remarkably it's amazing that you said that today Nala who is one of our female monkeys is in estrus and she was mounting another female monkey so you see that I mean it literally happened today I watched it with my own eyes for like a minute and a half so it's something that happens and it happens even
0: in the wild too so and so I guess my point with her was like you see females doing the mounting behavior and they don't quote-unquote need it because they don't need it to have sexual intercourse but Mm -hmm. like You see them doing it, so you know you have to take hypotheses with a grain of salt. So just to keep that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One thing also to remember is hypotheses don't have to be mutually exclusive.
1: Mm -hmm. That's true. I think a lot of people get caught up on that. Yes, very Um, much so,
0: and I see it a lot with undergraduates that they get caught up on like if this this if this is true, then this hypothesis can't be true, and it's like well, actually, both of
1: them might be true. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you don't know. Like we were just talking about this social pathology hypothesis it's i i've not I, I haven't read the paper but if there's good evidence supporting this human encroachment causing stress and abnormal behavior in these Langer monkeys this hypothesis could very well be at play in this population and yeah. maybe in others too now true? obviously i like i said i just presented some information that like would run counter this. But like you said, doesn't mean that this one is wrong. It just means that in all cases, it doesn't apply to it all. It's not all-encompassing. Right. But that's a great point, right? Hypotheses are not always mutually exclusive. And it's so yeah. easy to get that one-track mind it's like, yes. oh, this is the hypothesis. This is the way it must be. But in reality, I think there's multiple hypotheses at play at any given time for any given behavior. So
0: Exactly. But to move on, the second dominant hypothesis for the evolution of infanticide is the male-male competition hypothesis, which simply put is a male primate is more likely to kill male infants to prevent rivals or sexual rivals in the future. The best supporting evidence for this hypothesis is that male infants are killed at significantly higher rates than female infants during occurrences of infanticide, which feeds right into this competition hypothesis. So, actually, the article or the abstract that we had read about in the previous episode on the white thighed colobus monkey was supporting exactly this hypothesis.
1: Oh, that's right. That's right. I think they even specifically mentioned this hypothesis in that abstract.
0: Yep. But I also want to mention that this hypothesis has been used to explain infanticide in the females as well. Mm. So, females excluding future female rivals. Interesting. So personally, I think the male-male competition kind of aspect to it might not be so good. And I think maybe a better name for this would be the rival competition hypothesis.
1: Ooh, I do like that name. Uh, it's definitely more encompassing than the male-male competition hypothesis.
0: Yes, I don't. I see. I know there's <laughs> something there. <laughs> but... Uh, plus, there is some merit to this idea. In a review by Lucas and Hutchard titled The Evolution of Infanticide by Females in Mammals, they mentioned this possible hypothesis for the evolution of infanticide. So I'm not just insinuating that this is a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it actually has some Some uh, scientists have proposed and, and backed it up with data, too, that it might be playing a role in female infanticide.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know. I, I wish I could say that I I came up with that idea but no
1: I yeah I will say though in looking at these two hypotheses and like I said we talked touched on the social pathology hypothesis too which I think is a great hypothesis that might explain some of the behavior once again talking about mutual exclusivity I think that both of these could be at play and in fact they both could be at play within the same instances of infanticide right it it wouldn't be that difficult to see how these, hypothesis could even be related in a lot of ways, right? Um, you, you could be both decreasing your rivals, genetic representation in the gene pool by killing their infants. You could also be increasing your reproductive fitness by allowing the females to become reproductively active a lot quicker. Right. and at the same time you could be specifically targeting male infants so that they do not grow up and give you competition so both right. of these are, are are fine hypotheses um and i think they do a great job of explaining infanticide based on the data that we have on it
0: yep no it's so true and i like how you put that because you're right all all three of these aspects could be at play
1: at any given time at
0: any given time yeah, yeah.
1: so um
0: it's a good way to put it
1: and, and once again, too, this is, although a pervasive behavior throughout the animal kingdom, it's something that is not observed all the time, which really makes these hypotheses not less sound, but just like we have to always take a step back and remember that the data that's like the data that's out there compared to some maybe other behaviors like uh, Grooming, for example, there's so much data on grooming in primates, but there's not as much data on infanticide and a lot of it is inferred data. So this is the hypotheses that we have presented now, given the data that we have present and that we've collected. But there could be another hypothesis that we don't even know yet. That's very true. But um, I hope that we gave you guys a little bit of information about it so that, Mm -hmm. you know, you might have some explanations as to why, because I think it's very easy for this kind of behavior to kind of catch eyes and and really kind of hook yeah. an audience. But
0: it's a good like title, catchy mm-hmm. title for people to what do they call it on YouTube when you have like clickbait. Yeah. It's yeah. like a clickbaity topic in yeah, a way. It is. But
1: there are a lot of explanations for it. And it, it is a rare behavior, but it does occur. And so we thought it was an important topic to talk about as we are talking about anything and everything primary related. So cue that outro. This episode was written and directed by Matthew Babb and Sierra Simmons of Georgia State University and edited by Oliver Eddy. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you guys again next week for another episode of Monkey Business.